The lesson today is entitled, An Unusual Love Story. Now, those of you who know scripture, you might know who we were alluding to when you saw the title. And it is a story from the Old Testament. The story from the prophet Hosea. The first of what is called the uh, minor prophets, because he didn't write quite as much in length as some of the earlier prophets, the major prophets. But he's actually one who came a little bit later, after the northern kingdom had split from the southern kingdom. That's when all the prophets really started. But he was one who was announcing the coming judgment upon the northern kingdom, Israel. And his words are from God, but God uses him in an unusual way. God makes him the story. God helps him to understand his point of view. And so we turn to the book of Hosea, and we find that that Hosea had a difficult love story, but it pointed us and alerts us to a more difficult love story that was God himself with his people. So let us begin in Hosea chapter 1, and I'm going to start with, uh, well, I'm going to read verses 1 and 2. We'll mention verse 1 again later, but in verses 1 and 2, it says, The word of the Lord which came to Hosea, the son of Bere, during the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and during the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, he said to Hosea, Go take to yourself a wife of harlotry, and have children of harlotry, for the land commits flagrant harlotry, forsaking the Lord. So God tells Hosea to go take a harlot for a wife. Some promiscuous woman... Uh, who is already sexually active with who knows what ways, we don't know, but a wife of harlotry. So this is an interesting start to a relationship, an interesting start to a love story, but this is what God commands. And he alerts us there in verse number two that the, the story, the love story, is really about him and his people. So Hosea and Gomer, and Gomer is her name that he chooses, have some children. So let's continue in chapter 1, verse number 3. It says, So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblam, and she conceived and bore him a son. Continuing, jumping down to verse 6, Then she conceived again and gave birth to a daughter. And the Lord said to him, Name her Lo Ruhamah, for I will no longer have compassion on the house of Israel that I would ever forgive him. So two children, a boy and then a girl. And then verse number eight, when she weaned Lo Ruhamah, she conceived and gave birth to a son. So a son, a daughter, and a son. So Hosea and Gomer have begun a family together. But sadly, As we skip ahead a couple of chapters, we're going to learn that Gomer continues in her harlotry. She has a husband. Um, We can safely assume that, that Hosea, being chosen by God, would be a good man. God isn't going to choose 
uh, an unfaithful, uh, uh, an ungodly person to deliver his message. So it's very safe to assume that Hosea is a godly man, but that's not enough for Gomer. She doesn't change her way. She is loved by a godly man. She is treated faithfully by him, but yet she continues her unfaithfulness. So jump into chapter 3. Uh, verses, verse number 1 is where we learn this. Then the Lord said to me, Go again. Love a woman who is loved by her husband, yet an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the sons of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love raisin cakes. So, okay, some questions might arise here. There is an interesting way to, that you can translate this differently, and there's some questions about how to translate it. But no matter what the translation, you get that, that Gomer is continuing her unfaithfulness. She is continuing to be a harlot even as she is married to uh, Hosea, and they have the three children together. She is continuing to be the harlot. She continues her unfaithfulness, and then we learn in the very next verse, it says, chapter 3, verse 2, So I bought her back, so I bought her for myself for 50 shekels of silver and a homer and a half of barley. So now apparently the picture that is given here, uh, the assumption is that she has got herself into some kind of debt if she has gone out and played the harlot. And now she is a slave to somebody. She is a bondservant. She owes somebody something, so she is owned by them because she couldn't make a payment. And so now Hosea says that he goes and buys her back. Here is the unfaithful woman, but Hosea is saying, I'm not giving up on her. I am staying faithful and true to her. I'm going to go buy her back for myself. So Homer, Hosea, buys her back. And uh, to letter D here in my outline, it says, Hosea tells her that they will have a faithful marriage. Verse number three, Then I said to her, You shall stay with me for many days, and you shall not play the harlot, nor shall you have a man. So I will also be towards you. So here's Hosea just reinstating his faithfulness to her and calling her to remain faithful to him, even though he bought her out of harlotry, gave her a good life, a good, a good, a good life and a good everything, and that she has gone back to that. She has reverted back to her old ways. Hosea goes and brings her out of slavery, out of harlotry, and invites her back in to a faithful marriage. And he says this, he reaffirms to her, this is what I'll be to you. This is how we shall be towards each other. We shall be faithful to each other. And uh, then there is nothing more that is told of Hosea and Gomer after chapter 3. It kind of leaves me wondering as you get to this point and you're just considering their marriage. Marriage, they were, there was unfaithfulness before Hosea goes and marries this unfaithful woman, adulterous harlot. And then during the marriage, there's still problems. She has uh, something terrible goes wrong because she ends up a slave somehow. And Homer, Hosea has to buy her by Gomer. And so there's this kind of this chaotic situation. 
And the last we hear is that Hosea says, all right, now we're going to get it right. I'm going to be faithful to you. You will be faithful to me. They're going to have a good love story. But we're not told anything else. We're kind of left to wonder what happens. That's the end of the story of Hosea and his wife, his adulterous wife, Gomer. Did she come back and stay faithful? Did she fall in love with the one who helped her and saved her, redeemed her? Or did she not? Did she go and wander away again? Now, you'll notice in the outline, which is rare for me to have a true actual outline, but under number one, point F, if that's how you say it, letter F, it says, how would you feel if you were Hosea? Now, this is an interesting thought because the point is going to be then, as we think about Hosea giving his life and being faithful to someone who was unfaithful to him, what would that be like? You know, and and maybe some of us have, we've dealt with people who were unfaithful. And it doesn't matter, it can be just friendships, it could be in a marriage, it could be in a business relationship, it could be neighbors, it doesn't matter. We've, We've dealt with people who are unfaithful. And usually, you know, we kind of get to the, to the point where we say, fool me once, shame on me. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. <laughs> Don't mess that one up. I'm not used to saying that one. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me, right? We give a person one chance is basically what we do. One chance, maybe two, and then, hey, it's, it's done. I can't trust you. And now Hosea is coming along and he's saying, I'm, you know, I, I bought you out of harlotry. You went back to it, and you got in big trouble, and I'm I'm coming to you again, and this is not going to continue. We're going to be faithful to each other. She she spent many, many times um, being in an adulterous relationship while she was supposed to be with her husband. So we know it would be difficult to be in that situation, and and then later as we continue in the story, we're going to see, well, that's, what, that's the situation that Israel had put God in. You know, how long is God going to be faithful to a people who are unfaithful to him? So we start to understand what it's like to be God. And we need to understand that. That's a little bit of the point. God wanted uh, Hosea to understand what it was like to be him. But I realized that that is really not the point that I want to get at today. The point that I want us to understand, I think really the point of Scripture where we need to be thinking about right now as we think about Jose and Gomer and her unfaithfulness, think about Gomer right now. As you think about her, that she was... She was adulterous when Gomer, when Hosea, I don't know why I'm mixing these names up. Hosea goes and finds Gomer. She was already, and I think it's because of the name Gomer. I think I'm just thinking, Gomer Pyle, it's got to be a man, right? I'm having a hard time saying Gomer is a woman. It just doesn't sound like a woman's name. It sounds like a terrible name. But Gomer's the woman. I'm sure she was, you know... My, my, my image of what the name is being an ugly name, I'm sure it's not. I'm sure she was a wonderful, beautiful lady. So, Hosea has gone and gotten her. He saved her. She continues in her ways, and she knows she's doing wrong. But then Hosea comes back, 
and he's constantly coming back. He is constantly, even though she is doing wrong, he is being faithful and he ends up buying her out of slavery. How, would, how do you think she would feel uh, as you read chapter 3, verse number 3, knowing this has been years of problems and unfaithfulness on her part, and Hosea turns to her and says, You shall stay with me for many days. You shall not play the harlot, nor shall you have a man. So I will also be towards you. He's basically saying, I'm, giving, I'm making this covenant. I'm making a vow with you. I am going to be faithful and true to you. I will always be there for you. Please do the same for me. How do you think she felt? She knew how awful and terrible she was, right? How do you think she felt? And there was probably something within her that said, Oh, I'm not worthy, Hosea. Go, go find yourself a good woman. I'm not it. I don't deserve you. <laughs> Classic line, right? I don't deserve you. Um, but Hosea is there and saying, no, I love you. I will always be there for you. I am committed to you. And can you imagine how she would feel? Don't you think that there is something in, hey, she's bent, she got so low and so down and out that she was a slave and now Hosea has come and saved her again. And man, it feels terrible. You can look at yourself and feel terrible or you can say, lift your head up and say, I am loved. I know what true love is now. I know the one who is faithful to me and I will always be faithful and true to him. Nobody no man has ever been faithful to me like Hosea. Don't you think there would be something stirring within her saying, I want you even though I don't deserve you. I want you, Hosea. And that's what I think we need to think about. As we turn and we think about God and his people, we need to think about how many times God has been faithful and true to us. And just when we were dead in our sins, He came and saved us. We've done so much sinful, stupid, adulterous, harlot-like things that, in our lives. And yet He's there. And He says, nope, come back to me. I want you. I will be faithful to you. You come to me and be mine. That's what we're going to see in this story. As we continue, I've skipped a lot of verses. I wanted that point about what the situation was between Hosea and Gomer. How faithful Hosea was and how Gomer probably... I, I just suspect she just had to be drawn to him. I'm never leaving again. That's what I want to know. I want to believe. I want to, I, that's the hope is that she was faithful to him all the rest of her days. She had learned. She had learned true love. So on to point number two. Hosea and the Gomer, the story about Hosea and Gomer is really about God and his people. So now we're going to take us back into the original context and the story is to, as we saw, Judah and Israel. Judah, the southern kingdom that was more faithful, really, than the northern kingdom. The northern kingdom just uh, once 
the nation of Israel. It was united under David and under uh, Solomon, and then it had this tragic split. Well, the southern kingdom was the faithful one for the most part, um, to a greater part, I guess I should say. But the northern kingdom, they never had anything but an evil king. They always had evil kings. Israel, the northern kingdom, was terrible. God often sent prophets there to try and change them. And this is one of the later prophets, Hosea. And he's coming and saying, time's up. You've been unfaithful over and over. So letter letter B says, God's people have been the harlot turning from God. Chapter 1, verse 2 Um, after God is speaking to Hosea, go take yourself a wife of harlotry and have children of harlotry, he says this, for the land commits flagrant harlotry, forsaking the Lord. The land, and it's the, the people in the land, right? Land doesn't commit sin. It's all the people who are there. They have turned against God. They have gone after, they've got the one true God, instead of staying with the one true God who is good and faithful, they have gone to other gods and played the harlot. Letter C says, Jezreel, that's the name of the firstborn. So um, Jezreel is the location of a terrible bloodshed committed uh, by Jehu, the king of Israel. He was actually killed a terrible king that was before him. They were all terrible. But Jehu committed terrible atrocities um, at the location of Jezreel. And I hope I got all those names right. If you go back and listen to that, I hope Jehu is the one who committed the crimes at Jezreel. Jezreel's a location. So Israel is going to be punished. Look at verse verse number one. I mean, verse number three. Um, let me get to my right spot here. 3 through 5. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblam, and she conceived and bore him a son. And the Lord said to him, Name him Jezreel. For yet a little while, and I will punish the house of Jehu for the bloodshed of Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. On that day I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. So Israel is coming to an end. Their bow is going to be broken. They were going to have no power. They were going to be, this is a prediction about them being carried off into captivity, just having been destroyed by the nation of Assyria. Nineveh was going to come and haul them away. So Jezreel is the first, firstborn, and it's, and it's an allusion to some terrible atrocity that was committed in Israel. They did bad, so they're going to be punished. Letter D, it mentions Lo Ruhamah. So uh, let us read verse number, uh, verses 6 and 7. Then she conceived again and gave birth to a daughter, and the Lord said to him, Name her Lo Ruhamah, for I will no longer have compassion on the house of Israel that I would ever forgive them, but I will have compassion on the house of Judah and deliver them by the Lord their God will not deliver them by bow, sword, battle, horses, or horsemen. So here is the second, the second one, the daughter. Her name is to be Lo-Ruhama, or no compassion. And the no compassion part is a judgment against Israel. But notice in verse number 7, yet he gives this little bit of hope for Judah. 
So Judah's here in all of this, but they're here in judgment against the northern kingdom. But they're also saying, hey, you guys better watch out. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to have compassion on you, at least for right now. But you better get your act together or you're going to end up like the nation to the north of you. All right. And so letter E, lo ami, means not my people. This is from verse 8. When she weaned lo Ruhamah, she conceived and gave birth to a son. And the Lord said, name him lo ami, for you are not my people and I not your God. Devastating words for the people who, uh, who prided themselves on being, we are God's people. All the Gentiles out there who are not God's people, they're dogs and worthless and they're unclean. We don't want to be around them. And now God's saying, yeah, you're, you're just like them. You're not my people. Not my people, low of me. Letter F says, uh, God confronts his people, his wife. So that's who, the, this is like Gomer. God married a people instead of being like Hosea and marrying a woman. God marries a people. His people are his wife. He is the husband to his people. But they had committed adultery by turning to other gods. So he confronts them with this. So uh, listen to verses chapter 2. We're going to read quickly verses 2 through 13. And you can hear, I might not read all of this, but you're going to hear this is, hey, I was there for you all, and you, you left, you turned against me. So starting in verse number 2. Contend with your mother, contend, for she is not my wife, and I'm not her husband. So, you know, this is, it sounds like uh, Hosea and Gomer, um, and I'm sure it relates. It's this kind of the same, but this is really God talking about his people. You'll see this in a second. I'm not her husband. And let her put away her harlotry from her face and from between and, and her adultery from between her breast. Or I will strip her naked and expose her as on the day when she was born. I will also make her like a wilderness, make her like desert land and slay her with thirst. Also, I will have no compassion on her children, because they are children of harlotry. For their mother has played the harlot. She who conceived them has acted shamefully. For she said, I will go after my lovers, who gave me my bread and my water, my wool and my flax and my oil and my drink. Therefore, behold, I will hedge up her way with thorns, and I will build a wall against her so that she cannot find her paths." She will pursue her lovers, but she will not overtake them. And she will seek them, but she will not find them. Then she will say, I will go back to my first husband, for it was better for me then than now. For she does not know that it was I who gave her the grain, the new wine, and the oil, and lavished on her silver and gold, which they used for Baal. And here's where you definitively see, you say, oh, this is a people going after other gods instead of serving the one true God. He's talking about his relationship, his marriage with his people. Verse 9, therefore I will take back my grain at harvest time and my new wine in its season and I will also take my wool and my flax given to cover her nakedness and then I will uncover her lewdness in the sight of her lovers and no one will rescue her out of my hand. 
So he goes on and um, he's declaring he's going to bring judgment. He's going to, she wanted to go after her lovers and God's saying, I'm going to go after them. You can have them. And he's saying, I hope she comes back to me. And that is what we turn to now. As we, as we think about the, the confrontation uh, that is given, there are other places where, and really the rest of the book, it's all this confrontation. It's warning. But the message is about the coming back. After confrontation comes hope of restoration. God's heart on His people, He isn't just going to continue and say, alright, go off and do what you want to, I don't care. I'll still accept you back anytime you come. He's not like that. He says, alright, if you're going to go after Him, I'm done with you. You can have your ways, but I'm going to remove all my protection from you. You're not my people anymore. And you're going to see how bad it is when I'm not there. But after that, the Lord provides hope of restoration. Letter, chapter, um, part three, letter A, outline, right? Yet, yet. So look in chapter one, verse 10. Chapter one, verse 10. And notice this is after all the names. Um, uh, name them Jezreel, name them uh, no pity, no compassion, name them uh, not my people. Then verse 10 comes, yet, yet, yet there's hope, yet. Everything changes, everything's bad, then you get to verse 10. Yet the number of the sons of Israel will be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered, and in its place there it will be said to them, you are, you are not my people, excuse me, in the place where it is said to them, you are not my people, it will be said to them, you are the sons of the living God. And the sons of Judah and the sons of Israel will be gathered together and they will appoint for themselves one leader. And they will go up from the land. For great will be the day of Jezreel. So now in, in the place that was called Jezreel because of this, and it was remembered as a place of terribleness because of this slaughter, they serve the punishment for their sins, and then somehow in that place of Jezreel is coming something good. It's known as a place where good comes. And uh, perhaps that's a place where Jesus did a lot of ministry. And this is the place where, the, the, well, let me get back to the outline so we can move through it. Chapter, um, on 3A1, it says, Gentiles, not my people will be sons of God. That's what it says in verse number 10. At the end there, he says, those who are called not my people will become sons of God. And Romans chapter 9 confirms that this is talking about Gentiles coming into the faith. And this is how, how the, the nation of Israel, the nation of Judah, not only do they become united again, but it's even larger than that because God's people become people from all nations. This is the church that we're blessed to be a part of. Numbering beyond the sands of the sea more than the number of the stars in the sky. This is repeated again in chapter 3, verse 23. Um, that's not the right 
right uh, verse, it is in um, chapter 2, verse 23. I will sow for myself in the land, and I will have compassion on her who had not obtained compassion. Talking about the Gentiles. And there I will say to those who were not my people, you are my people. And they will say, you are my God. So again, here's this promise of hope. And, and, and as God talks to Hosea and he sets this situation up with Gomer, you're like, oh, this is terrible. This is terrible. How could Gomer just be the harlot when there's a guy who loves her so much? Well, that's, that's Israel. That's Judah. That's us. We play the harlot. We go after other things. We looked at a list of 12 things last week that kind of are things that if we want to be um, unfruitful, you know, there's just a list of things that distract us and probably identified with some of those things. We go after worthless things in life and become unfruitful. But God calls us and he says, no, there's hope. There's always hope. We're a part of this hope. We're a part of the kingdom of God because we have turned to the one leader that one leader so letter b it says judah and israel will be united under one leader that was mentioned in 111 that uniting not only are the gentiles coming in but but israel and judah united again though they had been divided and fought against each other for years united under one leader a prince a king we know who that is Letter C says, God's steadfast, loyal love will result in his people, his bride, being betrothed to him forever. Betrothed forever. And like a, it sounds like a new covenant, according to verse 18. They're, they're coming to Jesus. They're coming to God because of something new going on. And boy, and I think of, when I think of Jesus Christ coming to us and dying for us, there is nothing like that in the old covenant. Man, they, we look at them and they, we get a little jealous because, man, Moses spoke to God face to face. Look at all these people who spoke to God face to face. But they didn't have the Son of God come and die for them. Thinking about Jesus coming to die for me, it stirs me to emotion. It makes me want to, even in spite of all my sins and my shortcomings and my failings, and He comes to me? He will save even me? And I'm moved to come to Him because of His faithfulness, His love. I am drawn to Him because He is so faithful and true and loves me so very much in spite of me being like home, Gomer. Chapter 2, verses 14 through 20. Therefore, behold, here's the hope, the hope of restoration. Even though I let you go astray, even though you ended up as slaves to sin, even though Gomer ended up as a harlot and in slavery and needed redeemed, there's hope. Therefore, behold, I will allure her, bring her into the wilderness and speak kindly to her. Then I will give her the vineyard give her vineyards from there and the valley of Achor as a door of hope and she will sing there as in the days of her youth as in the day when she came up from the land of Egypt and it will come about in that day declares the Lord 
that you will call me Ishi, or husband, and will no longer call me Baali, or master. For I will remove the names of the Baals from her mouth so that they will be mentioned by their that they will be mentioned by their names no more. In that day will I will also make a covenant for them, with the, with them, with the beasts of the field, the birds of the sky, and the creeping things on the ground, and I will abolish the bow, the sword, and the war from the land, and I will make them lie down in safety. I will betroth you to me forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in loving kindness and in compassion, and I will betroth you to me in faithfulness. Then you will know the Lord. Boy, do you know the Lord? Do you know the one who is who has come for you and he has not given up on you? And even when he said, All right, if you're going to be so stubborn in your sins, I'm going to let you go on your own way and you see what it's like and you see what you end up in and you see how bad things are and when you're eaten with the pigs in the slop and starving to death that's when if you'll turn to me I will come and save you oh how wonderful it is to be betrothed to him forever one last uh, verse I'll read verses in chapter 3 verses 4 and 5 it's the last place where, and, and now, right before this, again, Gomer had been playing the harlot, ended up in slavery, bad situation. But Hosea saves her, and then it turns back to God and his people. For the sons of Israel will remain for many days without a king or a prince, without sacrifice or a sacred pillar, and without ephod and household idols. He's saying, you guys are going to go your own way. Things are going to be bad. You're not going to have anything. Not even your so-called gods that you want to serve. It's going to be bad. Afterward, here's the hope. Afterward, the sons of Israel will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. And they will come trembling to the Lord and to his goodness in the last days. Return and seek the Lord our God. Let us do that. Let us follow our king, referred to here as David. This is a reference to Jesus. Let us follow our king, Jesus. Let us come trembling to the Lord in his goodness. And don't you think, if you think about yourself being Gomer, don't you think it's appropriate to come trembling before the Lord God because we have been sinful and unfaithful we have done evil, we have committed harlotry, we have gone after strange gods and strange things and unholy things. Come trembling before him, knowing what he's done for you. Loving, you know, it's just, it's, man, we want to hang our heads and we have to because we come to him in humility and just filled with shame for our stupidness and rebellion. But God is there and says, welcome back. I love you. And we are going to be in a covenant. I'm going to betroth you to me forever. We know his goodness, so we come to him, and he shows us his goodness. The Lord God is so good. Even when Israel was unfaithful, unfaithful God showed his steadfast love. That's the story. And he continues to show that love in Christ Jesus, our King, 
our leader who unites us, Jew and Gentile alike, one body. Come to him. Be drawn to him and his goodness and his faithfulness forever. If there's anybody who has, to this point, not come to Jesus, come trembling and in the great fear of God, wanting forgiveness, today that invitation is extended to you. If you wish to respond, won't you please come? If you're able, please stand with us together and sing.